You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. Sin is most serious, and the tragedy is deepened by the denial that we are sinners. Then he says, nice people must see themselves as nasty people before they can find peace. Our blessed Lord was very fond of nasty people. He told so many stories about them. One of the charges the enemies made against him was that he ate with nasty people and was sinners. In today's message, Pastor Danny will warn you of the world's movement towards a denial of sin. The world would have you believe that all people are inherently good, and any mistakes in their life is a result of someone else or something else. When you read the Bible, you can see that this isn't true. Since the fall in the garden, humans have been born sinful. We make mistakes and we choose to make them. Ultimately, no one is responsible for your mistakes but you. But freedom from sin is attainable. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, as he continues his message, One Powerful Prayer. people's hearts are not changed, they will end up in bondage again. I added, some people simply want deliverance from the negative circumstances of life, but their intent is not not to submit to the Lord. Their desire is not toward holiness and living according to the truth of God's word. They just want out of the negativity that their sin and their foolishness has brought about. You want to see that worked out in life, you just read the book of Judges. The book of Judges is the people of Israel time and time again experiencing what some have called foxhole Christianity. They get in trouble. They go away from God. The end result is uh, lives are ruined. Lives are disastrous. It never ends up like you think. Not in the long run. Never ends up. Always ends up, always ends up with you not getting what you're really looking for. And so they realize it, they call out to God, oh God, help us. And what does God do? Because he's merciful, because he's gracious, he reaches down, he raises up a judge, and he delivers them from the enemy. You read the book of Judges. And as soon as he delivers them, it says, but they went right back to the old lifestyle, went right back to the old ways. And so they ended up right back in enemy bondage. And what happens? They end up crying, oh, God, we're sorry, forgive us, you know. What does he do? Because he's merciful and he's gracious, he raises up another judge and he delivers them again. That's the book of Judges. It's just one after another, after another, after another. It's foxhole Christianity. 
The writer of the Proverbs talked about it. Here's what he said, and he puts it in a very graphic way. It's easy to understand as a dog returns to his own vomit. So a fool repeats his folly. It's the heart of man. It's the nature of man. It takes a real willingness and a real change of heart to not only get on the right path, but to stay on it. Here's the intention. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, and he said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. So he had experienced his own captivity. He had experienced his own disastrous results of walking away from truth and, and the way of the Lord. And, and, and for him, for him, what God intended, that's what happened. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now, now I obey your word. His lifestyle was changed because his heart was changed. The woodshed did its job. But so many times, you, you know, Proverbs also talks about a fool. You can grind them with a mortar and they still end up living like a fool. See, the key is for the heart to be changed. The heart to be changed. Daniel includes himself in his request for a need of forgiveness from God. Isn't that interesting? The personal pronouns are throughout the prayer. We, 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 we. And yet, I discussed this with my wife because I wanted to make sure when I taught, I taught correctly. And so I asked Wendy the other day as I began studying for the message, do we know anything about Daniel's life prior to the captivity? And we really don't. We really don't know. But thanks to my wife and her insight into the word, and as we discussed it together, when you look at the word and even the book of Daniel, You have to believe, before the captivity, Daniel was already committed to the Lord. When he shows up in Babylon as a young man, and he's there with his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's who we know them as, and the first thing they're tempted with is to go away from the kosher diet, which they would have been committed to if they're good Jews, if they're living for the Lord under the Mosaic law, they would have had a kosher diet. And the first thing they're tempted with is to go away from the kosher diet, and they refuse. And God honors their commitment to stay with the kosher diet. And so right away, as a young man, when he ends up in Babylon, you see that level of commitment that must have been there prior to the captivity. And here's Daniel's heart, and here's why he includes himself in his request for and his need of forgiveness from God, because his heart is humble and his heart is contrite, contrite, contrite. Now, what does that mean? Psalm 51, 17, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Let me give you a simple definition, and you'll understand what the word contrition really means. Contrite, the synonym for contrite is repentant. A contrite heart is a repentant heart. So, 
Somebody can be sorrowful and even shed tears, but they might not be repentant. You find examples of that in the Scripture. Balaam, this figure in the Old Testament, he confessed his sin, but he never was contrite. The Old Testament king Saul confessed his sin, but he never was contrite. Judas confessed his remorse over what he did in betraying Jesus, but he never was contrite because contrition is synonymous with repentance. What it means is you actually have the kind of change of heart that changes your life. Your behavior has changed because your heart is contrite. And Daniel has a humble and contrite heart. And it's a thing he maintained. It's a thing he, he, he developed and he, he made sure he stayed contrite and he stayed humble. And listen, you want a prayer to be powerful and this is a powerful prayer. It comes from a heart that is humble and contrite. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. That's another psalm. The Lord would not have listened. Why? Because your heart is not changed. Daniel acknowledges, <laughs> and though Daniel was likely committed to the Lord before the captivity, he nevertheless realized the sinfulness of his own heart. Very important. That's the whole point of Jesus talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector, and they're there before the temple, and the Pharisee stands up and he prays, and he says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. Or like this tax collector. And the tax collector stood afar off, didn't feel like he could come close to the altar, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he bowed, and he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus' point in talking about the Pharisee and the tax collector was just said this. The Pharisee's problem was he couldn't see the sinfulness of his own heart because he's comparing himself with this guy here. And even though we may not have committed the exact sin somebody else did, our heart is still sinful. Listen, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Daniel understood that. Daniel knew that in his heart. And even though he has this commitment level even prior to the, the captivity. Going into the captivity, he maintained that humble and contrite heart. He knew the sinfulness of his own heart. You see that in men like the Apostle Paul. You find that as Paul got older in the Lord and even more mature as a Christian, he saw his sin more so as he got closer to the Lord. Same thing with Isaiah. He sees the Lord high and lifted up. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Very important we don't miss this. And so Daniel acknowledges the undeserved nature of his request. That's what he said, verse 18. Last part of verse 18. We don't make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. We don't deserve anything. And he declares, and he understands that Israel's fate is 100% her own fault. Some people don't get that. 
Proverbs talks about this. A man's own folly ruins his life, yet his heart gets rages against the Lord. Some people get mad at God. Some people get mad at society. Some people blame their mom or their dad or their circumstances. Now, I want to pause here for just a minute because I want us to get this. You need to understand this. This is our culture. This is where American culture has come, and it's where we're moving deeper into. You went to be with the Lord last week, and I don't know if his name means anything to you, Jay Adams. Jay Adams in his day was a Christian psychologist. And I emphasize Christian psychologists because some people are Christians and psychologists, but they're not Christian psychologists because they don't use the Word of God as the basis for their psychology. Jay Adams talks about in this book called Competent to Counsel how early on as a seminary student and then as a young pastor, he struggled with counseling people. Then he was influenced by a secular guy named Maurer who developed this method of counseling that was more confrontational. And so Jay Adams took the Bible and became more confrontational with his counselees. He said, I could not help but notice that the more directive I became simply telling counselees what God required of them, the more people were helped. Spelling out and getting commitments to biblical patterns of behavior after an acknowledgement of and repentance for sin seemed to bring relief and results. He says, in counseling sessions, we discovered with astonishing consistency that the main problems people were having were of their own making. And then he says, we also saw evidence of dramatic recovery when people straightened out these matters. Now, he talks about the guy who was very influential in getting this whole thing going. You might have heard his name, Freud. He says, Freud has played a great, he's had a great impact in the present collapse of responsibility in modern American society. Freud adopted and popularized views of human difficulties under a medical model. Listen carefully. The idea of sickness as the cause of personal problems vitiates all notions of human responsibility. This is the crux of the matter. People no longer consider themselves responsible for what they do wrong. They claim that their problems are allogenic, it means other-engendered, rather than autogenic, it means self-engendered. Instead of assuming personal responsibility for their behavior, they blame society. Freudian psychoanalysis turns out to be an archaeological expedition back into the past in which a search is made for others on whom depend the blame for the patient's behavior. The entire basis of human responsibility is undermined. Listen to this. Personal helplessness, hopelessness, and irresponsibility are the natural results of the medical model. If a person's problems in living are basically problems of disease and sickness rather than problems of behavior, he has no hope unless there is medicine or therapy which can be applied to his case. Since there is no medical cure for people in such trouble, they move from despair to deeper despair. During the time in between my last pastorate and this pastorate, and let me just pause to say how much I love you guys. But I had a little downtime 
And right at that time, a friend from up north that was a snowbird and part of our past, previous pastoral ministry sent me this book, not knowing what we were going through. It's called Peace of Soul. It's by a former Catholic bishop. His name's Fulton Sheen. And I have no doubt I'll meet Fulton Sheen in heaven. He writes in chapter 5, and chapter 5 is titled, Morbidity and the Denial of Guilt. He says, there's been no single influence which has done more to prevent man from finding God and rebuilding his character, has done more to lower the moral tone of society than the denial of personal guilt. Let me read you just some snippets. This conception shows a shocking ignorance of human nature. The truth is that there is an increase of mental disorders largely because too many people think they are nice when really they are nasty. Very harmful effects can follow accepting the philosophy which denies personal guilt or sin and thereby makes everyone nice. By denying sin, the nice people make a cure impossible. Sin is most serious. And the tragedy is deepened by the denial that we are sinners. And then he says, nice people must see themselves as nasty people before they can find peace. Our blessed Lord was very fond of nasty people. He told so many stories about them. One of the charges the enemies made against him was that he ate with nasty people and with sinners. There's more I could read, and it's really good, but let me end with this little line. God would have been infinite goodness if he had never made the world. But unless nasty persons has existed, he never could have shown his sweet mercy for our sins. I don't know if you realize how much God desires to bless us. So many scriptures I could share, but I'll share one that's directly related to our text. Again, from Jeremiah. Here's one of the things Jeremiah said, when the 70 years are completed, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise. Restoration. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what God wants. God's not trying to trick us. That's the enemy. The enemy is the liar. And our own hearts are deceitful. God wants to bless us. And you know the path to blessing? It's absolutely necessary that we confess and repent of sin before forgiveness and restoration can take place. So here's how we're going to close. Say it with me. It's a great verse. Are you ready? Here we go. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Now, that principle goes beyond and after someone received Christ as Lord and Savior. Jesus wrote seven letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, and they are messages for the church age. It's messages for us. And in each of those letters, five out of the seven anyway, he had things that the church needed to repent of. I went back and looked at them. 
The first one, Ephesus, what was it? You've left your first love. What does that mean? If you read the book of Ephesians, you figure it out very easily. They didn't have the same level of commitment to Christ, but they also didn't have the same level of commitment to one another. And Jesus said, because of that, you need to repent. And he said, if you don't repent, I'll take the lampstand. In other words, you'll lose your testimony as a church. Second thing he said, and he said it to two churches, you're involved in sexual sin. And the only difference in the two was that one had been warned before and had had time to repent and refused to repent. And so the second one, he said, you've had time to repent, and now, now your captivity is about to take place. Now the judgment for your sexual sin is about to take place. Listen, sexual sin is rampant in the church. In the church, we need to repent. The third thing he said is, this church, he said, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. You know what that is? That's hypocrisy. That's hidden sin. That's you put on the Christian front at church, but there's hidden sin in your life. You need to repent. And the fourth one, don't miss the last one. You know what he said? To the church of Laodicea. You're not cold, but you're not hot. And because of that, it made God sick to his stomach. He said, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. And he said to the church of Laodicea, repent. He said, I'm standing at the door and knocking. And if you'll repent, I'll come in and have fellowship with you. Listen to this. Say this with me. Ready? Here we go. Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's what he's talking about in Revelation of the church of Laodicea. He's saying, I'll come in fellowship with you, and I'll pour out a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that's what he wants to do. Not this afternoon, not tonight, not tomorrow, right now. Here's my question. Don't answer out loud. It's a personal question. It's a personal question. What do you need to repent of? Now, look, all of us know we we feel inadequate because none of us measure up. None of us measure up. But I'm talking about specific sins. Maybe something that I just went over from Revelation 2 and 3. You've left your first love. You're involved in sexual sin. Maybe not involved with somebody else, pornography, whatever it is, lust. Repent. You got hidden sin in your life. You're not cold, but you're not hot. You're lukewarm. Repent. Repentance is a good thing. It's a good thing. And if you don't need to repent of something specific as a Christian, then I invite you to intercede. That's what this prayer is. This is a prayer of intercession from a humble and contrite heart. And guess what? That's a powerful prayer. You pray from a humble, contrite heart for your son's your daughters, your moms, dads, family members, friends, work associates, teammates, whoever it is, neighbors, guess what? The prayers of a humble, contrite heart, God hears.
Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Daniel on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We'd also like to encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on the latest videos. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send us that email. In addition to that, we'd love to meet you in person. If you're ever in the St. Petersburg area, feel free to join us for our weekly church services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. You can find out more on our website. Once more, that was ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Danny next time for more from the book of Daniel right here on The Living Word.